Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nika Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to day four of Ukama Africa Family Business Conference. Um, This is our last day of our conference, which has been really great and thoroughly enriching. We've had such great speakers and great participation from you, our audience, as well. And this morning, we're joined by um, KPMG team. We'll be having a panel, panel discussion on the future of African family business, the role of partners, stakeholders and opportunities. We have um, Nikia Olakumri, who is KPMG Associate Director, Family Office and Private Clients from the Nigeria team. She'll be moderating. We have Mike Liu, Partner of Deal Advisory from South Africa. We have Nigel Smith, Head of Deal Advisory from East Africa. Ijioma Imizi Izigbo, Head of Transaction Services, Nigeria. And Cray Sudding, Associate Director, KPMG Private Enterprise, Family Business from the South Africa team. So you're all welcome. I'll hand over to you, Nika, to uh, moderate this panel discussion. Thank you very much, Nika. And good morning, everyone. And welcome once again to the fourth day, fourth and final day of the AFF Ukama Family Business Conference. I make bold to say that the conference organizers um, left us to the last day. Um, As the saying goes, you save the best for last. So I'd like to thank them once again on behalf of um, my colleagues across KPMG Africa and myself uh, for inviting us to take part in the conference. Um, um, Nike did a great introduction, just to introduce myself once again. My name is Nike Olakonri. I'm the Associate Director, Family Office and Private Client at KPMG Nigeria. I have over 16 years experience in um, family office advisory, uh, private client management and wealth management. And I sit at KPMG Nigeria and head the family office and private client practice. Um, to introduce the session, um, I'd like to start off by saying that um, uh, family businesses and owner managed businesses are at the fore of what we do uh, in the family office and private client practice at KPMG. And we've noticed over the last 12 months that the effects of the pandemic and the economic uncertainties have really, really taken a toll on a number of family businesses in terms of their resilience, in terms of their innovation, and in terms of their leadership. And they really brought to the fore um, conversations around succession, around um, entrepreneurial orientation of the business. Um, Families are now having these very important conversations, and we'd like to be a part of those conversations. Um, We have today with us um, our expert panelists from KPMG across Africa who want to discuss with us um, how families can future-proof their business against economic shocks, um, just as the pandemic um, in the future. Let me start by introducing our panelists. So today... We have Nigel Smith, who's the Head of Deal Advisory and Strategy at KPMG East Africa. Nigel is a debt advisor, a credit and restructuring specialist with over 25 years experience. Um, He joined KPMG East Africa in December 2015 as the Head of Debt Advisory and Restructuring and is currently the Head of Deal Advisory and Strategy East Africa. Nigel has numerous contacts within the banking market. um, And with his banking background, Nigel advises businesses in their negotiation with banks, 
to ensure that proposals gain the support of lenders and lenders also look to Nigel for support when restructuring client uh, restructuring client deals. Also on the panel today, we have Ijoma, who's our partner in head transaction services at KPMG in Nigeria. Ijoma has over 17 years experience um, leading um, uh, business advisory projects across the M&A cycle, including buy and sell side advisory transactions, structuring, strategy, and commercial assessment and fundraising assistance. In addition, we have Mike Lowe, who's the partner deal advisory KPMG in South Africa. Um, Mike specializes in mergers and acquisitions and has over 15 years experience. And we also have uh, my colleague, Kreya, um, who's the Associate Director of Private Enterprise at KPMG in South Africa. Uh, Kreya has over 13 years experience in tax and specializes in international tax. Let me start by handing over to my panel. Let me start by handing over to my panel. I want to start by um, asking um, about the economic climate in your various jurisdictions. Um, how has how has the pandemic affected it, if it has, and what are your um, uh, various governments doing to um, to support investments in your region? I'd like to pose that question to everyone on the panel. Let me start with Mike. Thanks. Thanks very much, Aliniki. Um I think um, you know, obviously, the 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 COVID pandemic has has significantly highlighted and accelerated um, the structural issues that South Africa had. Um, obviously, South Africa, uh, it's well known uh, to many to many people the the last decade of economic growth that South Africa experienced um, from 2010 to to 2020. And one of the key pillars of this government is to try and obviously reignite the country. I think COVID um, probably brought that to a fore and, and really made the government uh, focus on, on what needs to be done. And, and really, I, the, what they see as their role is to try create a better environment for investors to, to invest in. And, and they've looked at that in terms of several pillars. Um, importantly, and I think for everybody knowing South, South Africa's challenges, is to to focus on on fighting corruption and obviously the economic leakage that that goes uh, out from that. South Africa's issues with respect to that are, are well known, and and the business community obviously is 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 very supportive of of that initiative. The additional kind of uh, issues is obviously South Africa suf suffers from aging infrastructure. So an, another pillar for for the South African government is to invest in, in infrastructure. Our energy issues are obviously also well known uh, to, to many people with, with blackouts being one of the largest drivers of, of economic stagnation in, in that last decade, but also um, facilitating an increase in, in rail um, so, so that uh, internal kind of uh, movement of goods and trade can be taken off to rail to make it a bit more efficient and, and easier for, 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 for businesses to, to start industries, to look at exporting, um, as well as to uh, foster investment and beneficiation of, of minerals. You know, you would need a strong rail network um, in order to, to get minerals to, to um, let's say, smelters, etc., to beneficiate um, and then obviously create an export driver. So really the focus of government is, is looking at macro kind of um, solutions to create a business environment that will allow businesses such as family-owned businesses to invest within that country. Additionally, um, education is, is a key a pillar of, of what the, the government in South Africa wants to do and getting the getting society up the curve so that we are able to to enter um you know students and and people into the economy that is future proofed you know for the fourth industrial revolution that, that is clearly taking place globally 
So, so thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. That was very insightful. Um, Ijoma, can I come over to you for your um, insight on West Africa and Nigeria? Uh, I think, I think like... you're on mute. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. So thank you, Nikia, for that question. Ijoma, are you on mute or have you frozen? Can you hear me? Looks like she's frozen. <laughs> Looks like she's frozen. We have another colleague of ours, Nigel. Is Nigel on with us today? No? Nike, um, Ijoma, Ijoma was Ijoma. coming through fine this side. Yeah, Ijoma, we can hear you. So th thank you very much, Nike, uh, for that question. I'll add to what Mike has said, as I believe that Nigeria isn't so far away from really where South Africa is. Um, and I'm sure it will be similar to the story from East Africa also. So similar to other countries, Nigeria is navigating real uncertain times as a result of the pandemic. Um, however, in view of our oil dependence, our domestic case has really been further complicated due to the oil price crash in early 2020, which caused Nigeria to gradually slip into recession by the second quarter of that year. The good news for us is that we've witnessed sooner than expected rebound. Um, in the last quarter of last year, we had an albeit albeit a low growth, but we had a growth of about 0.1% in GDP. However, you know, the further good news is that the economy is still projected to grow by 1.5% in 2021 on the back of recovery of oil prices and increased production levels. On the second part of the question on what government is doing to encourage investment making, I would say the Nigerian government has taken a two-pronged approach to this, which include monetary and fiscal measures. On the monetary side, the federal government through the Central Bank of Nigeria approved over two trillion naira in stimulus plans targeting various sectors of the economy, including about one trillion to loan in loans to boost local manufacturing and critical productive sectors of the economy. Um, an additional 100 billion intervention funds went into healthcare, specifically to pharmaceutical companies and healthcare practitioners intending to expand or build capacity. We had about 50 billion target credit facility for affected households and SMEs. And in addition to this, the central bank reduced the interest on intervention loans from 9% to 5% um, and gave moratorium to extend the payment period uh, for intervention loans extended by the central bank. On, on the fiscal side, government has also come through. Um, there were a combination of policy of the pandemic, primarily by the Finance Act. I'll mention just a few of them. The first for us was a reduction of minimum tax rates for businesses from 0.5% to 0.25% for two years. This was really primarily to release cash for the businesses and help them plow back the cash into investments, especially to fund capex in view of the, you know, the lending activities in the market. The second would be reduction on import duties and levies payable on motor vehicles across various categories, most especially across the, the categories that are used primarily for transportation of goods and services. Um, including tractors and trucks. In view of the significant increase in digital investments um, necessitated by the lockdown, so during the lockdown we saw increased activities around remote working, increased e-commerce and online payments and transfer activities. The government also approved the inclusion of software as a qualifying capital expenditure for capital allowance purposes to translate also to additional tax benefits for investing companies. And similar to what Mike said, South Africa, at the sub-national levels, we are seeing increased investments. So the states are prioritizing their investments and are increasingly investing in infrastructure to create a new green environment to attract businesses to come and set up investments in their states. So a lot of states are building industrial zones. A lot of states are building um, industrial zones and, and, and increasing 
investment in infrastructure and gas pipelines just to encourage businesses to come in and set up with increased incentives, um, especially around tax also. Thank you. Thanks. I, you know, just, just to add a practical perspective from, from South Africa that could be of interest to, to the audience. You know, in, 20, in 2020, we obviously saw uh, the panic with the pandemic in, in the South African markets. And a lot of, a lot of uh, foreign investors, um, you know, looked at their own portfolios overseas, looked at South Africa and, and many Southern African nations and, and, you know, deemed that potentially some of these would be non-core and they wanted to preserve cash in, in their own markets. Um, so we saw a lot of almost panic selling um, from, from foreign uh, private equity as well as corporates. And for, for family-owned businesses in South Africa, that created significant opportunities. For those that really understand their markets and have the management bandwidth um, to, to really focus in South Africa, and, and they were able to obtain um, you know, investments in businesses and takeover businesses at significantly competitive multiples, so significantly reduced multiples from, from what was before. Um, what we're seeing now with the rollout of the vaccine um, slowly in Africa, but, but, you know, more aggressively in, 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 in the Northern Hemisphere is that there is cautious kind of re-entering, uh, into the market from, from, from foreign investors, uh, as well as, um, you know, um, private equity, uh, private equity firms, but they are focusing on specific sectors, um, and, and being, being rather cautious. We, we believe that the momentum will build, obviously, um, as, as uh, the pandemic um, gets under control and obviously, you know, utilizing significantly cheaper funding that they are able to get in, in foreign markets, we believe that the risk on appetite will increase uh, and that could uh, present opportunities to get investors uh, from overseas to invest in your businesses. That's a fantastic perspective. Um, just before I hand over to um, Nigel, uh, welcome Nigel, um, I just wanted to ask, that, Mike, Mike, just a follow-on question from what you've just said. So for families that are looking to um, diversify their business operations, take advantage of these opportunities, what considerations would you say they should prioritize to make themselves prepared for that? Yeah, so I mean, I think... I think for, for many of them, obviously, focus, you know, it's, you know each business is, is different, right? And each business, family business is on a different journey. So if you are uh, already a large business and you've got significant uh, liquidity um, available, you're in a defensive sector, there are opportunities to deploy your cap capital in, 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 let's say, businesses that are in distress. You know, what, what I've always uh, known, having lived through the financial crisis of 2008 and, and this financial crisis, or uh, well, this crisis, the pandemic crisis, is things are things are never as good as as they seem when when the good is going, and things are never as bad as they seem. Um, and these these kind of uh, situations uh, are opportunities. You know, you you don't want to be, the people that get real returns don't buy at the top of the market. They buy as the market is turning, and they can see people coming out of it. So, so I believe that there is significant opportunities, but you must be careful um, with what you are wanting to to invest in. You know, and, and really understand and do your due diligence on any investment opportunities that you're, you're wanting to um, to obtain. You know, was the business impacted by COVID or the pandemic or were there structural issues in that business? Um, when you're taking over a business as a family office, is the cultural fit correct for you? Um, do you need to supplant management? Um, do you need to, uh, with your own management, do you have the bandwidth to do that? Uh, will it detract from your, your current business? 
What you don't want to do is necessarily invest in a business that requires significant management oversight if you yourself are not able to um, let the current management of your business um, run that business uh, as you would so want. So are you prepared in that journey with respect to your own business um, to take over another business and diversify? So I, I know we'll, you know, my colleagues will, will, will touch on, on many of these things later, but it really is, um, is your business prepared? Do you have, have you empowered your staff to, to run that business on your own? What is your role going to be when, when you're taking over this business? Is that business itself, op, you know, the opportunity that you think it is? And, you know, due diligence and all of those kind of things are absolutely critical when, when you're looking to invest. Okay. Sorry, sorry to chime in there. Um, Nikia, I've been troubleshooting with Nigel in the background. He's in the room but can't hear. So if you'd like for him to answer any questions, perhaps you can place it in the chat box. Will we be able to hear um, Nigel? Yes, I believe so. I think it would be really great for us to see things from um, an East African perspective, just to um, to benefit from his insight on uh, what the uh, um, uh, the investment uh, um, outlook is in um, East Africa and Kenya. Um, I will type that. We'll move on with some other questions, and I'll type that whilst we're going along, and then he can come back in and respond to that. I wanted to ask um, all our panelists what your top two suggestions would be for businesses, for family businesses looking to be sustainable, who are looking for long-term growth and looking to make themselves sustainable. Um, what would your two top two bits of advice or uh, key points be to those family businesses? Let me start with you. Jama, I think you're still on me. Thank you. So thank you, Nikke. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Nikke, for the question. Um, to ensure sustainability in a family-owned business, um, the business would need to ensure consistent increase in profitability, of course, to accelerate growth. Uh, to be able to achieve this, the top two suggestions and factors for me, I'm sure in addition to what Nigel and Mike would say, will be first finding the right partner with shared values and aligned interests with respect to financing the business and operationalizing the strategy to maximize both organic and inorganic growth potential. For example, while seeking to access funding and execute your strategy, there should be more emphasis on the additional value add from a financial or strategic investor and partners. Family-owned businesses should seek to leverage the deep industry expertise of private equity investors to enhance performance of their business plans. And I'll give examples of that as I explained um, this perspective. The private investors can act as sounding board, bringing fresh perspective into the family business from valuable lessons from similar portfolio companies. Also, the businesses could explore strategic partnerships, especially foreign investors seeking to enter the local market. This could accelerate the expansion into new segments um, of the existing value chain or entry into a new industry completely. So we worked with several foreign investors seeking to enter the different segments of the market, working with local partners in the form of joint ventures or similar structures. Uh, from my experience, a combination of the strong global expertise coming from that foreign investor, especially from a technical perspective, and the local market presence and the network of the family businesses easily positioned the businesses for accelerated growth. For example, we advised a foreign strategic client in recent times on its investment in a family-owned chemical business in Nigeria. Uh, the key transaction rationale for that particular foreign investor was forward integration across the value chain and geographic expansion into Africa, leveraging on Nigeria, the size of Nigeria's market to expand into the region, into Ghana and the rest of Francophone West Africa. 
The strategic investment supports a significant level of expertise, especially with respect to raw material supply and sourcing. This contributed to accelerating the company's market leadership and competitive position in the, in the local market. Especially in recent times, we'll appreciate where the central bank um, doesn't have enough sufficient effects uh, to fund manufacturing businesses with respect to buying their raw materials. But this company was a lot easy because they had this strategic partner who was able to supply them the much needed raw material to meet the market demand and, of course, be able to position to take additional market share from competitors. Similarly, we also advised a foreign microfinance bank in investing in a family-owned microfinance bank in Nigeria. The foreign strategic partner brought significant innovation, significant innovation and technical advancement uh, to the local business. I'm sure you'll appreciate micro-lending. Micro-lending really is really supported and enabled by technology. This foreign partner was able to leverage on their global expertise, working mostly in Asia, a continent with similar demographics as, as, as Africa, to be able to strengthen the competitive positioning of this local microfinance bank. The second factor that is closely tied to the first relates to the need for formalized corporate governance structures, including the independent board of directors and clear, clear lines of control. In Nigeria, we are seeing a rise in the number of independent board members, including more diversity on corporate and family boards. This portrays the need for more outside expertise and stronger governance um, and stronger corporate governance as the family-owned businesses evolve, mature, and of course, transition to a successive uh, family. Uh, from, from my experience, strong governance drives institutionalization and of robust financial reporting and high level of compliance across family-owned businesses with respect to regulatory issues, especially tax in Nigeria. Um, the oversight and accountability with strong governance structures bring enhance the sustainability of businesses overall in the medium Thank you, Nick. Great. I, th I think I think those are those are absolutely wonderful points, Joma. And I'd like to just build build on them. Um, you know what what we've seen in the pandemic um, has obviously been that there's uh, that certain businesses that uh, that have concentrated customers, traditional sales channels, etc., have have really probably suffered more than 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 most. So, I, you know, one of the areas that I think is is absolutely critical for for family-owned businesses and SMEs is to is to consider um, leveraging technology um, to to get a different sales channels um, to to obviously attack different markets and compete against businesses that have traditionally more scale. So, embracing technology has really has really um, been critical to those businesses that 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 have uh, thrived. Uh, and survived out, out of this pan pandemic. Um, so the more the family businesses can can look at that to to diversify their customer base, to to be able to sell to 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 customers when shops are closed, etc., um, really has um, in, enhanced their their ability to to survive this pandemic, and also to to obviously grow grow from it. Um, the, the last point is is something that I think a lot of family-owned businesses. Have and it's also you know a part of their success as well as part of um, you know where they can improve um, for when they want to attract investors is really empowering that next level of management to to um, run the business. So a lot of a lot of family owned businesses start out where the founder is running the day to day operations. He's the finance manager. He's strategy. He's running production. All of those things and and really 
focuses um, you know, on, on that business and, and potentially in, in the early days that that is absolutely wonderful. It's a real hands-on approach. It's low cost, all of those things. But, but as the business matures, it, it does hinder growth. And when you're looking at it from a private equity or an investor perspective, often that is a, a key risk for them. You know, can this business really carry on without the founders? You know, is that business uh, um, uh, sustainable uh, from, from that perspective? Additionally, what we found in times of crisis is that the founders don't have time to necessarily um, focus on the crisis and what the business needs to do because they are, you know, running the day-to-day -day operations. If they had empowered the next level of management to run production to, to look after sales, then they could have a strategic lens over, you know, looking after the business uh, from, from a top level um, to drive uh, the business both out of the crisis and, and into growth. And regardless of whether or not we're in a pandemic, this is, I think, a key focus area for where family businesses can focus. Empowering your staff, managing performance, you know, giving them the ability to obviously grow your business will allow you to obviously grow that and then look at investing in others where you can take what you're good at, which is being entrepreneurial and, um, you know, driving growth and new ideas in, into new markets. Um, so, so, so that, I think, is critical for those businesses where we've seen success. Thank you very much, Mike, for th that insight as well. Just quickly, before we move on with further questions, I just wanted to ask if we've got Nigel back with us now. And if you've seen, aha. Uh, there, there is nothing like persistence, is there? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and and, and for, all for all those who've seen my profile, you can see I've aged enormously from going having, having had jet black hair to grey hair through so the efforts of joining this morning, but welcome. <laughs> welcome, Nigel. Welcome, <clears throat> Nigel. Just before we bring you on to where everybody else is, let's just catch everybody, um, bring you up to speed on what we've been discussing. I wanted to know if you could share some insight on the business investment climate in East Africa and if the mm -hmm. um, pandemic has affected this um, and what your government is doing to encourage investments in your region. Um, I suppose the answer, it's a mixed bag. Um, it depends on whether um, the the companies concerned are under stress or, or prospering. Um, I think the, the, the reality is that those companies that do not rely upon import or export um, probably are okay. And if you look at the agricultural sector, for instance, um, or, or the industry, which is uh, prevalent in... It like lost Unfortunately, it does. It looks like we've lost Mike. Oh, sorry, not Mike, Nigel. <laughs> sorry. Okay, I, I think we'll go on with we'll go on with um, other questions, and if Nigel can come back in, then we will let him just come back and give give him his perspective, um, his opinion from an East Africa perspective as well. Seems like I've had um, power issues here as well. It will come back. <laughs> it will come back to us. Um, I just wanted to ask um, the panel. I am coming to you, Claire. I just wanted to ask <laughs> the panel. Um, you know, there's been. Um, in recent times, there's been um, a lot of interest in global investors investing in African businesses. You've given a couple of examples of African businesses partnering uh, with global investors. Um, I just wanted to ask, what would what would you say are the risks and the opportunities that family businesses should look out for um, when preparing themselves for international investors? Ah, who do I pose this question to? Let me start with you, John. <laughs> Ladies first. Didn't quite get the question. Sorry. Looking from uh, looking for funding from global investors, um, I know you've touched you've both touched on it. But what are the key points that family businesses should do to prepare themselves to attract funding? Can you? Oh, 
So thank you, um, thank you again for that question. So with respect to family-owned businesses, I'll answer it from um, two perspectives, right? So we look at from experience what are those things that they need to do to position themselves for funding. And the first for the initiatives from experience, the first set of initiatives the family businesses um, should take uh, to position themselves would first be for us housekeeping and housekeeping and preparing for sale. This, for the most part, mitigates the risk of significant value decays from the transaction. In addition to selling the stake in the business, for the most part, we've also seen family-owned businesses in Nigeria in recent times. Because of the whole impact of COVID on the on the pandemic and the environment, Nigeria has a low interest rate environment. So a lot of family-owned businesses, instead of considering a sale, are accessing the bond market to raise financing. But I'll limit some of the considerations to three. The first is that the investment and increased focus on achieving the business plan. That's, that's the very first one. Um, you have to invest to increase um, to increase, you have to invest and increase focus on achieving the business plan of the business. Um, of course, enhancing market and brand positioning would be key for family-owned businesses. Because one of the things that, that, that make companies attractive, especially family-owned businesses attractive to investors, is the brand recognition, right? So it's the brand recognition, the, the recognition of the products and the services that they, that they provide in the local market. So they invest in your business plan, refining the strategy and business model to drive growth and increase financial performance to, of, of course, overall enhance your foundation um, would, would be very important. And so for family businesses in Nigeria, we see for the most part, a few of them as a position for sale, they, they step back and typically just take some time over a year uh, to, uh, to try to achieve this, refining their business plan and refining their strategy. Um, sometimes we've seen... We've seen some family businesses come into the market and we've seen some of them even abort the transactions just to go back to the drawing table to ensure that you know um, they're able to put in some time to refocus the business and ensure that they're well positioned to attract that investment. The second will be with respect to cleanup, right? So family-owned businesses for the most part because you know they're not regulated businesses and they're not uh, forced to comply with uh, public reporting requirements or stock exchanges or external or external uh, external regulators, uh, we see that sometimes there can be a bit of a gap in the quality of their financial reports. So the second would be with respect to financial cleanup. In instances where financial reporting and, and the external audit processes do not meet the standard expectation of investors, right? A key initiative for the family businesses would be to work with financial advisors to, to diligence historical financial information, both from a financial point of view and a tax point of view, to be able to identify the gaps and take steps and take steps ensuring that the, the cleanup is done and some of the actions are taken in preparing the financial statements or updating or bringing the financial statements up to the standard of the external investors. Uh, we've had instances where, for example, the, the treatment of a potential tax exposure arising from years of non-compliance by family-owned businesses, you know, resulted in, in or where deal breakers in a particular transaction. So for us, being able to work clients to... to prepare them for that sale, helping them achieve that financial cleanup and helping them really say put the house in order um, is a key consideration for us. The third of course to, to would be institutionalizing the business. I think I had mentioned this earlier a formal governance structure, a formal governance structure, an external board which is which is is really very important because it's quite attractive to investors, especially the foreign investors as as for them it drives that Oversight, compliance, and transparency across the businesses. 
Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Mike, I'll come to you. I just want us to quickly catch Nigel while we have him. So, Nigel, what we were asking <laughs> was um, from your perspective, from the East African perspective, how can family um, businesses make themselves, prepare themselves to make them attractive for international uh, for funding from international uh, funders, investors. Uh, obviously, I, I have to agree with what Jeremy says, as, as ever. But I mean, a, a lot of it really depends on um, getting yourself investor ready, and, and that really relies on corporate governance. It means a balanced board. Um, I, I keep telling our clients that just because an FD has a business card doesn't mean to say that they're actually an FD. Um, so, you know, the, the fact itself means that there is a balanced board. Um, and, and I stress that because so many people um, um, will say, well, I've got, I have a board, but actually the power is concentrated in one or two individuals' hands, and, and that is not getting, getting yourself investor ready. But then once you've got that, um, I think you've got to be, uh, have something which I suppose you'd call bankable strategy and bankable ready. Um, you, you have to have a, a robust business plan. Um, and in, in today's climate, you've got to prove a degree of certainty, you know, um, you know, there are, there are so many investors out there. Um, and and it, let's be perfectly honest, you know, it is currently a buyer's market. Um, and, and therefore, you have to prove that, you know, your current business plan isn't just replicated from something of 18 months ago. You know, you have to show that you've taken into account the, the COVID aspects and, and that, um, that, that there is a, a degree of certainty of delivery around that. Um, and I think in that, that's where the advisors come in, the way I see it, because, you know, if you get someone who actually knows about the an M&A transaction, um, then they can help you write an information memorandum. They can help you through a vendor due diligence process. And, and in that, what I mean is, is even if it's not a formal vendor due diligence, you know, uh, I'm currently... Um, assisting uh, a logistics company. Um, and we've actually said to them, do not go through a marketing process until we've done our own due diligence upon you so that you know all the warts and all that are going to be found by people like us acting on behalf of the purchaser. Um, and doing it that way, there are two major, major, major points there. One is you know what's going to come up and, and therefore you have time to put it right before, before anyone knows it's a problem. And perhaps even more importantly, it's so it's so it's so important to get confidence. Whereby, if Ijeoma asks me a question, um, she wants to know that I know the answer, not that I'm going to come back in four weeks' time. And when you've done, when you've gone through that vendor due diligence or an internal due diligence process, and you've got you've got an advisor that is holding the hand of the corporate and is answering the questions where you can on behalf of the corporate, it's snappy. It's very quick. You're not wasting time. It gives confidence that the management are completely on top of this rather than uh, we don't know what we're doing. And, and a whole load of getting value for shareholders is around spinning the story. It's about control. It's about making sure that, you know, that the, the buyer doesn't come in with a bid, a non-binding bid on day one um, and drive the price down because in the current climate, that is exactly what is happening. And um, I think the other aspects about the the advisor is, you know, we, we have, with respect to, to some PE houses, you know, we, we have advised some of our clients that, you know, certain PE houses have a reputation of driving price down and not adhering to the initial offer. Now, we, we're able to bring that sort of intelligence to the, 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 the corporate and the family, the family business. And, and by doing that, we can prepare and get the, the best value. So I think a lot of that, a lot of really what it is, is, is around 
um, preparation, getting a proper advisor. And, and you, you know, if you then move into the, as you said about the, um, the international investors, the in, international investors want all of the above. But, but then, of course, they'll want things like um, gender to be on the table, you know, and, 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 and all of those parties are disenfranchised. So it's not just a male-female issue. It's a, it's a dis- disenfranchised. So if you were going to have, um, for instance, a cleanup, you know, that there is no doubt that climate change is here to stay. You know, um, Don, Donald Trump has gone and, and uh, you know, everyone else knows that climate change is here, here to stay. Uh, that there is no doubt about that. Grants can be obtained if you know how to um, how to prepare your information memorandum. If you know how to spin your story, you can get seed capital if you know how to do that. You, so that there are all sorts of things that you can do, uh, and there are many there, there are many uh, areas of of equity of debt which can be obtained by the family business if they can get someone who can open those doors for them. Great, thank you, Nigel. Um, I think you've, between you and Ijora, you've covered um, uh, most of the points there. So I w- I'd like to take it on to Claire and just say from a protection perspective, um, how important is it uh, to seek the advice of an international tax advisor such as yourself for families looking to expand into new territories who are looking, um, seeking funding from um, offshore investors, entering into new partnerships? How important is the uh, does tax play in this discussion? Thanks, Nikkei. Um, good morning, everyone. Yeah, so <laughs> there are, well, Benjamin Franklin said there's two certainties in life, um, death and taxes. I'm going to add a third one for, for today, which has been highlighted, I think, over the last um, year and a bit, uh, being uncertainty. So to manage that uncertainty and one of those uncertainties being understanding the tax implications of any decision that is taken and i think everyone on the on the panel here and i think everyone listening understands that that you can't make any decision without thinking about the tax implications anywhere in the world okay fair enough a few very friendly jurisdictions but we're not talking about those there aren't any of those in in africa so or not too many so i think from that perspective it's just actually having that on the mindset that any form of planning that happens around any deal that's on the table the tax implications need to be considered. Now, when you're dealing with a family business and actually any business, but I mean, our focus is family business, there's actually two aspects to consider. You've got the corporate side, but then you've got the family side because there's going to be, the transaction could trigger corporate taxes. And in Africa, you've got, in my view, to start off with the three main considerations are the corporate tax, any value-added tax, and then the withholding taxes, because in Africa, withholding taxes are significant. If you come, anyone coming in from Europe or outside, I mean, they understand the concept of withholding tax, but in Africa, we seem to have taken it to the next level. So it's, it's that side on the corporate side. And then on the individual side is what is the family getting out of it? What is their net return? Because often a family looks at it and says, Sure, look at this deal, but then you've got to consider all the different levels of taxes, and it may not be upfront. It's exiting on disposing of the shares today, but then what are you going to do with that wealth? And what are the tax implications of what you do with that wealth that you have now created liquidity? And especially if you're internationalizing that wealth, and I think from a South African perspective, it's, 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 it's an unfortunate reality that we're seeing it an exodus and it's not very recently it's been gradual but i think the last couple of months has has accelerated it slightly is that there's a lot of planning to take 
the family wealth that generally comes out of the family business offshore. And the biggest consideration at the moment is understanding inheritance taxes, not just in your, 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 your home country, but in the countries um, that you are now going to invest into. So let's say um, the next generation is an idea to start up a new business in a South African um, next generation decides to start up a new business in Nigeria. What are the implications at the corporate level and the individual level? So for me, run that all back. It's about the planning. And then we've spoken a lot about corporate governance, which is incredibly important. And, and I totally agree. Um, these family businesses, your co- level of corporate governance is all family members on the board and all of those things, which is manageable, but then you do need to get the independence. But it's also the family governance and how that aligns with the corporate governance and how the board understands what the family's values are because to, that business became a successful business because of the family values and the entrepreneurial drive that that family had. So when you, and, and some people say you corporatize the business, but what we actually say is rather professionalize the governance in the entity because families get very nervous when you say corporatize it because it's almost, they think it's now a clean cut between the values that and their entrepreneurial spirit that drove this business and they want to still have that stake. So it's also an interesting discussion that um, I have with many family businesses on the family business consulting side in the sense that, yes, they're looking for liquidity. Is the only mechanism to generate liquidity to bring in an equity shareholder? Are there not other ways to do it? And I think that's another thought process that one that these family members need to understand and sorry, I've lost my train of thought ever since I'm there. Okay, yeah, I know, now I know where I'm going. And um, it's to make sure that they just think about selling their shares because at the end of the day, they've generated this legacy and they don't want to just lose it. I mean, we know it takes years to generate a legacy and by selling it in one day, I mean, there's a massive amount of emotion in that. And it's that emotion is where you bring in the family governance because you need to implicate the shareholders being the family in the sense that if they're not going to sell more than 50% shareholding in their family business, how are you going to get that across the table at a shareholders meeting? As much as the board may think it's a great idea, the shareholders are the one that still need to pull the trigger at the end of the day. So it's, it's this very fine balance between the corporate governance and the family governance. And then all around that, as I say, is the tax planning that needs to happen at the corporate level and the family level. So I hope I've given some insight there from a tax perspective. Absolutely. Chris, you really have. Um, a couple of points stuck out to me and I, and, and I um, took notes on the key takeaways, I think, from uh, your discussion is that it's important for families to seek tax advice, not only in their jurisdiction, but the jurisdiction that they're entering into. Very often families don't look at that. If you're investing in another country, you need to seek tax advice and understand the rules and regulations um, around investing in those countries. Um, And I also noted that you uh, spoke about family governance and that it's important to get the family governance right as well, not just the corporate governance, because at the end of the day, the family governance is what sets out the rules and regulations of um, uh, responsibilities of each person in the family, which is particularly important, just as you mentioned, um, when the family has a legacy that they want to hand down to the next generation. And even when selling the business, you still want the, the legacy of the business to remain to intact 
just even as you sell um, and you expand into other business areas. Thank you so much for that, uh, that point. If I was going to ask you for your one key takeaway that um, our audience should take away from the conversation, well, those were mine. What would be your one thing that if they forget everything else from this discussion, this is the one thing that... Well, the one thing that's actually come out of our global survey very recently on the impact of COVID is about patience. Um, and it's, 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 it, it, it sounds very... <laughs> Um, a, a soft term, but it's a very important term in the sense that there's a lot happening at the moment. And I think of people, there's a lot of emotion happening, but it's actually take a step back. Hopefully your governance um, is, is at a level that you can do that. Relook at where everyone is in the, in the business, in the family to make the proper decision. Because as we all know, and I think over all the, the, the talks that I've been listening into, it's the long-term view that a family business owner has as opposed to the short-term returns that some investors have, the family has a long-term view and it's about patience and making sure that whatever decision you make and be it selling a portion of the business, selling the whole business, bringing in a new investor, it's about the long-term returns, not the short-term immediate returns. Thank you very much for that, Claire. In the interest of time, I want to open the floor to any um, questions from uh, the audience, if there are any. Well, whilst you're going there, can I just jump in and make an additional point? Because I think we focus, we focus um, a lot on the corporate governance and you know um, the, the importance of keeping the, the family together and and the entrepreneurship of the family, which is extremely important. But but I, I know having worked with Mike on a, on a couple of deals, we, you know we would both be very firm to actually advise our family businesses that not every equity participant is the same. Not every PE house is the same. So therefore, when you're trying to find a, a partner um, and pe people think, you know, this is mad, but it's, it really isn't. You've got to look at the culture of the person that you're bringing into the family business. I think that's something which perhaps we haven't touched on, which um, I don't know, Mike's smiling away. There. I don't know if you want to add to that, but uh, uh, it's something that I know I feel very passionate about. You know, don't always go for the best financial return today because you may well find that uh, um, it's not someone that you want to get into bed with in the medium term. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Nigel. I mean, um, that, it's a very important point, and it, it, you know, Jomo highlighted it uh, on it. So, really, I think where we collectively, as a KPMG team, have have seen business and, and transactions um, and partnerships um, rise and fall, or, or sink or swim, is really on understanding the culture of of what you you're investing in, who you're partnering with. Um, who you're going to bring into your business. So, so that is very important. And I really like Craig's point on, on patience. Make sure that you, you, you plan for, for the future and, and, you know, it's not a knee jerk reaction to sell a portion of your business or to invest there. Really make sure that you plan and you really understand what you're getting getting yourself uh, and, 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 and your business into. Thank you. Um, there are no questions uh, from the audience. Um, and in the interest of time, I would have asked what your parting shots were, but I will take those last few comments as your parting shots. Um, Idama, you've unmuted yourself. Did you want to say something? Yes. yes. Okay. So I, I, I think for me, you know, working with Nigerian family businesses, um, Nigerian owner managed businesses, you know, one of the things I would say is, you know, Take time and invest. Invest in structures. The structures, for the most part, would ensure sustainability of the businesses in the long term, right? Um, ensuring that and structures attract the right people and, of course, drives a good culture. So if you have the right culture, 
you have the right structure, um, you would have the right people, you would have the right um, competences, um, and you'll you be able to institutionalize the business and really provide this sustainable long-term growth strategy. Thank you, Gemma. I just want to say a quick thank you to um, all of our panelists. Um, I think the discussion could go on and on and on, but we've gone way beyond our time. Um, I think it's been helpful in helping our audience to get themselves um, business ready to future-proof their business against, as I mentioned earlier, any future shocks um, and any economic uncertainty. Um, I just I would like to say to all members of the audience that you can reach out to any of us. Um, we're available to assist with any solutions. Um, our contact details, I believe, are on the um, the virtual platform, um, and I believe you have our names, or you can contact Africa Family Firms to get in touch with us. Thank you very, very much, everyone, for your time today, and have a great day. Thank you, Nika and Titi. I'm handing back to you. Thank you so much for everyone who joined us for this session, and thank you so much to the KPMG team. we just like to ask everybody to just um, log on to the next session as it will be starting the next seven minutes, and looking forward to completing the rest of the sessions with you all. Thanks, everyone.